I hope you'll turn with me in your Bibles to Psalms 2. This morning, we're going to read the Scripture, but I'm going to, we're going to do something that we haven't done before, that we're capable of doing with the overhead. But I'm going to read Psalms 2 to you out of the Living Bible. And to the right of the Living Bible translation of this is going to be the King James Version of this. I hope in the coming weeks, and we'll, we're going to spend a couple of weeks on this Psalms. I'll, I'll be honest with you, I never, ever thought that I would preach out of Psalms 2. It's one of those passages of Scripture that I thought, well, it doesn't have anything to do with our day and it's not relevant, so I'll not be preaching out of this. But folks, in reality, this Psalm is what we need to hear in this day and time. And the message of this psalm is God is still in control. And He really is. I want you to hear the words that I'm going to say this morning, not from a condemning heart, but from a heart that gets so easily discouraged. And I'm sure many of you do too. And I'm getting ahead of myself. But folks, again, I want you to know God's in control. He has never lost control and He never will lose control. Let me pray, and then we're going to read these verses, okay? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for these who come so faithfully to this house of worship to honor you by worshiping you and by studying and hearing your word. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would fill this place. Lord, I pray that even the words that I use, even the sentences, Father, would come straight from you. I pray, Father, that no one would think that I'm here to condemn Lord, we remember that You sent Your Son not to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through Him. But we thank You, Father, that Your Son, because He loved humanity so much, not only died for our sin, but when He encountered people whose lives were wrapped up in sin, He pointed it out, not to condemn them or to put them down, but to love them and tell them the truth and show them that He is the way, the truth, and the life. God, how we pray for our world, that it will turn back to You. Father, please remind us that as Christians, as a church, we are to take a stand. We are to love sinners, but not sin. And we ourselves are to be salt and light so that others can come to know You. And Father, I pray that You would stare our hearts again as Christians to be excited about the world that You've chosen to place us in, the point in time in history. And God, we would just give ourselves to You in such a way that we will touch our world and we will lead people to You. Father, encourage us today to hear Your Word and to know once again that You are in control. In Jesus' name, Amen. Follow with me in your translation of the Bible, okay, as I read from the Living Bible. Verse 1. What fools the nations are to rage against the Lord. How strange that men should try to outwit God. Verse 2. For a summit conference of the nations has been called a plot against the Lord and His Messiah, Christ the King. And I want to stop there for just a second. We're going to examine this in detail. Michelle, if you'll go back. Thank you. How in the world could David... Envision Christ. And folks, I went back and looked. It's thought that David lived between 900 and 1,000 years before Christ came. 
How in this world would the living Bible translate the expressions that men are plotting against the Lord and against his Messiah, the Christ? Well, God, this two weeks ago, actually, because I've been waiting for two weeks to share this message with you, God impressed upon my heart Hebrews 4.12 again. You remember that verse? The word of God is, remember the next word? Living. Living. This book is alive. Folks, this book not only spoke in the day that David wrote these words in Psalms 2, it speaks to the past, it speaks to the present, and it speaks to the future. And even as David was king and he saw that God had anointed him to be king, God promises him, and we're going to find out about this next week, God promises him in 2 Samuel 7 that someone would reign over Israel from his descendancy. And then there would be an eternal king that would rule. And folks, it's none other than Jesus and that's why in Matthew 1.1, as, as Matthew begins his gospel, he says, this is the genealogy of Jesus. And he says, who is the son of David. And then he says, the son of Abraham. Folks, what I want to convey to you is going to take a couple of weeks. But folks, from the very beginning, the Word of God is alive. We must not turn deaf ears to it. We must not turn away from it. We as Christians and as churches must get deeper and deeper into the Word of God because it will instruct us that God is still in control. And even in David's day, he knew that God was going to be in control until history end, ends. Listen to verse 3. Come, let us break. This is what men plot against God. Come, let us break His chains, they say, and free ourselves from all this slavery to God. But God in heaven, verse 4, merely laughs. Now, folks, we need to talk about this. God doesn't think it's a joke the way the world is going. Folks, if anything, God is weeping. You remember Jesus as He entered into Jerusalem. He wept as He could look from Mount Olivet and see the city of Jerusalem. He wept over it because He knew that God had been rejected even by His own people. But here, David is trying to make the point that whatever the plans of men are, in God's eyes, they're foolishness. Listen, God laughs. He is amused by all their puny plans. And then in fierce fury, he rebukes them and fills them with fear. For the Lord declares, and listen to verse 6, here is a declaration from God. And this is about not just simply David being king over Israel, but it is a declaration about Jesus being the king over all the world. This is the king of my choice. I have enthroned him in Jerusalem, my holy city. His chosen one replies, I will reveal the everlasting purposes of God. For the Lord has said to me, you are my son. This is your coronation day. Today I am giving you your glory. Only ask and I will give you all the nations of the world. Listen to verse 9. Rule them with a rod of iron. Smash them like clay pots. And listen to the warning to humanity from God in verse 10 and 11. And again, because this book is alive, it not only spoke to David's time, but it speaks to every generation. O kings and rulers of the earth, listen while there is time. Serve the Lord with reverent fear. Rejoice with trembling. Again, while there is time. And folks, 
you can take this sermon any way you want to. I'm not trying to intimidate you nor scare you, but I wonder, is time not running out for humanity to turn back to Him? Only God knows, but we must acknowledge and be forewarned that surely the time is running out. And listen to the last verse in this psalm. And it contains a commandment, it contains a warning, and it contains a beatitude. Listen to the command. Fall down before his son and kiss his feet before his anger is roused and you perish. And here's the warning. I am warning you his wrath will come soon. And again, I know we don't like to talk about here about the wrath of God, but it's coming, folks. It's coming. Sadly but true, it is coming. But listen to the beatitude. But oh, the joys of those who put their trust in him. Folks, if not verbally, by words of mouth, if not verbally, in our hearts and minds, have we not in recent weeks asked the question, is God still in control? And before I go any farther, I want you to know where I stand on this. I know that God is in control. And I know because of the teachings of the Word of God that God will forever be in control God and Christ are forever in control because He is our Creator, He is our Savior, He is our Lord. There's an expression that it seems we don't use much anymore, but it's used throughout the Word of God, especially in the Old Testament. He is the Almighty God. There is no other God like Him. Matter of fact, there are no other gods except the ones that we build up in our hearts and minds. Jesus says, I am the Alpha and the Omega. He is the beginning. He is the end. Folks, from Genesis chapter 1, where God created us and the heavens and the earth, to Revelation chapter 22, where you and I are given a glimpse into eternity. Who is in control? It is not man. It is not humanity. But it is God Himself. Adrian Rogers once was preaching on the book of Revelation and a person who was a skeptic and who didn't believe that God was going to control everything up at the end said, do you understand everything in the book of Revelation? And Adrian Rogers said, no, not everything. And the man said, can you sum up the book of Revelation in a few words? And Adrian Rogers said, I can sum up the book of Revelation in two words. And the skeptic said, what are those two words? And Adrian Rogers says, we win. Don't you see, when we follow Jesus Christ, we are on the winning side because God is not only in control of mankind, but He is in control of human history. And folks, this book reveals how God has worked in and through human history. This book reveals how human history will end. And God will be there and His Son in the place that He has prepared for those that love Him. But folks, in saying all that, we must confess that as Christians, we're living in a frustrating, a discouraging, and a depressing world and a depressing day. Not only in recent weeks, but it seems all of my life, and perhaps your life, and I know that many of you are far younger than I am, and some of you are older than I am, but throughout my life, it seems like God has been under attack by man. It seems as if Christianity has been mocked, even sometimes by the people within the church. And that's a shame, isn't it? But so often we belittle what we think about God and we even belittle God and we put Him in a box and we make Him so small. 
And God is so often attacked. And isn't it accurate to say many in our world are seeking to rid the world and even of our nation of any mention of Christ and God and Christianity? And let me give you some examples of this. And folks, after the 830 service, somebody shared in their Sunday school class, someone made the point that it seems like Satan begins doing small things, small things, small things that begin to snowball and get bigger and bigger. And these things that I'm getting ready to describe to you seem like small, isolated events, but they brought us to where we are right now in this nation. I remember in the 60s and perhaps early 70s, I can't even remember that far back whether it was in the 60s or the 70s, that some of the Russian cosmonauts, cosmonauts which were astronauts for the Russians, they were going to fly their spaceship into space. And the Russian cosmonauts were quoted as saying, we're going to fly all the way to heaven and we're going to remove God from his throne. Folks, when I was a senior in high school, and yes, that was a long time ago, when I was a senior in high school, to graduate from high school, you had to take one semester of communism, and you had to take one semester of economics. And I remember both of those courses well. The economics course was supposed to help you be able to understand money and how free enterprise works. And that doesn't have anything to do with the sermon. But the course on communism. Folks, I was pretty... Shallow, and I was pretty sheltered as I grew up, and still am for that matter. I didn't understand them folks overseas. And as I began, and I'd just become a Christian, I was a new Christian, as I began to read and study about what the communists believed, it startled me. The communists believed and taught that there was no God. And further, they taught that religion was just an opiate. You know what an opiate is? A drug. Opium. Heroin. And they're saying religion was just a crutch for the weak people in society. And I believe there are many in our world today that think you and I as Christians, you and I that meet together as churches, we're just so weak that we need something to hold us up and prop us up and give us, give us hope. In my lifetime, prayer has been removed from school. We now call it a moment of silence, and I'm not trying to mock people now. But you know, that expression really bothers me. Because did you know that there's going to be a point in time in history when there will be a moment of silence? Listen to this verse out of Romans chapter 3, verse 19. So the judgment of God lies very heavily upon the Jews, for they are responsible to keep God's laws instead of doing all these evil things. And not one of them has any excuse. In fact, all the world stands hushed and guilty before God. Folks, I believe the scripture when it says that one day every single one of us will stand before God. And folks, we're not going to be able to give God our opinions or what we thought or what we said or what we believed. We're going to stand hushed before him. The King James translates it, every mouth may be stopped. The Revised Standard, every mouth may be stopped. There's going to be moments where you and I are not able to speak because we must acknowledge our Creator. But you know we're going to be given an opportunity to speak. Now I'm going to give you some Herbert Brown theology right here, and I think it's in the Word of God. You know what we're going to say next? 
listen to these verses out of Philippians 2. That at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Even if our nation wants to do away with God, one day this nation will have to stand before God and acknowledge He was the one who created us. And His Son is the one who was sent to save us and to give us eternal life. Folks, the Word of God, sadly, is now being rejected. It seems as if we can't even have it on the walls of our schools or on government buildings and more and more, our freedom to witness is being threatened. I don't know if you've seen this young black man, but and his color doesn't have anything to do with it. But this young black man in Durham, who in recent months has gone to several different street corners with a bullhorn, and he's preaching. And I passed him one day this week, and he had a sign that said, Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. He was not ashamed of his faith. And as I drove by him, I did this. And I saw him do that with his sign. And I thought, I wish I had the courage to get on a street corner and preach the gospel as this young man is doing. During our revival, David Chambers shared these statistics from 2013. 1,860,000 abortions were done in the United States in 2013. Almost 15,000 murders were committed in the United States in 2013. Folks, I know we've got what is over 300 million people, but do you and I realize in a three-year period of time, if murders continued at that rate, to get that down to our level, everybody in Person County would be murdered in three, three years if they were all done here. Folks, and I'm going to say this again at a later point. We don't want to hear about the judgment of God, but it's coming. If when Cain slew Abel, the blood of Abel cried out from the ground for justice. All of these babies that have been aborted and these people that have been murdered... Their blood is crying out to God for justice. How do we think we can be spared? And folks, let's carry it. Father, children killing parents and parents killing children, our homes, our war zones. And we're supposed to be living in such an educated and well-rounded society. What we are doing to children now through sexual assault and rape an exploitation of selling children into slavery, and yes, that is happening in the state of North Carolina. And folks, I need to add some more. And I prayed that nobody would think that I'm standing in this pulpit judging and condemning others in what I'm about to say. And I want you to know what, not only what's on my heart, but what's in my heart. God has called you and me as Christians to love everybody. Because you see, we are all sinners. And we need to be reminded of that. And the sins that we have committed that have been covered by the blood of Jesus is no greater than sins that people are committing right now that we look so often down upon. 
And we are not to condemn them, but to love them and lead them to Christ, who is the way, the truth, and the light. Jesus loved sinners, but he pointed out their sins and their need of him. And that's what we must do as a church. Our doors must be open to everyone. Our hearts must be open to everyone. But we must never, ever compromise what the Word of God teaches us. You see, Satan is seeking to take over the world and destroy the lives of those people that God has created. I encourage you to go back to John chapter 8 where Jesus gives this description of Satan. He is a murderer. He is a liar. The truth is not in him. And folks, no wonder Satan does not want the Word of God not only preached from pulpits, but you and I living the Word of God on a day-to-day basis. Because it is only the Word of God that convicts a sinner's heart that he needs a Savior, and it is the Word of God that points out who that Savior is. And I'm not just trying to single out homosexuality and gay marriages. But the homosexual movement and gay marriage is a direct attack on God's original purpose for man and woman and an assault on the Word of God. Let me read to you again Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. In God's original design, therefore man leaves his father and his mother and cleaves to his wife, and they become one flesh. Folks, the Word of God is very plain and very specific that homosexuality is a sin against God and it will bring the judgment of God upon a nation. Let me read these verses so that you'll know that the Word of God says this in Leviticus 18.22. Leviticus 18.22, Michelle, there you go. You will not lie with a male as with a woman. It is a what? An abomination. Leviticus 18. Excuse me, that should be Leviticus 20, verse 13. If a man lies with a male as with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination. They shall be put to death. Their blood is upon them. And then from the book of Romans, chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. Their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural. Go to the next verse, please. Verse 27. And the men likewise gave up natural relationship with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in their own persons the due penalty for their error. The cities of Sodom and Gomorrah in Genesis chapter 19 stand as an example of how God punishes this type of rebellious sin against his original plan for man and woman. And folks, here's my point. Satan is leading men to redefine marriage that is contrary to the plan and purposes of God. And our government now seeks to sanction that which God and the voters of many states have declared harmful not only to individuals and families, but also to our society. You remember a couple of years ago when we voted on that amendment that marriage would be defined as between a man and a woman, over 60% of the voters of North Carolina and other states voted to define marriage as between one man and one woman, but then one judge overthrew that vote. I'm very upset. Folks, that right now, 
it seems as if it doesn't make any difference what our Creator and our God says. We'll do it our way. And folks, something happened after that. And again, I've been waiting for a couple of weeks to preach this sermon. Sadly, now some government leaders want to be in control of what's being said in the pulpits of churches in America. And folks, this is no joke. And I'll put this on the bulletin board, but I want you to know that this is the truth. I'm not making any of this up. This is out of the biblical recorder. You probably heard about this either on TV or on the news. And the title of this is, Is Houston Coming to Your Door Next? Let me just read some of this to you, okay? When news broke out of Houston, Texas, October the 15th, most of us were thinking that that it cannot be true. It must be a cruel joke. Houston City Attorney issued subpoenas demanding certain pastors, and I think there were at least five pastors that they were subpoenaing, that these pastors turn over any sermons dealing with homosexuality, gender identity, or with the city's first open, openly lesbian mayor, Anise Parker. This heavily-handed government bullying is in response to pastors who are resisting the city's new non-discrimination ordinance that allows transgendered individuals to use any public restrooms or locker rooms that fit their perceived gender identities, thus subjecting children and women to sexual predators. The lowest tag, the Houston Equal Rights Ordinance, or HERO for short, The action has created a new ground zero of the assault on religious freedom. It must not be ignored by anyone who treasures basic constitutional freedom. Let me skip through some of this. The attorneys working for the city demanded, now listen to this, demanded all sermons prepared by, delivered by, revised by, or approved by you, speaking to the pastors, or in your possession on matters that included not only the mayor and the ordinance, but homosexuality and gender identity. These sermons would be sent to the mayor of the city for approval that it didn't violate that ordinance of the city. Folks, I want to read the rest of this, but folks, can you and I imagine the day that just because we read these verses, I just read you out of Leviticus 18 and 20 and out of Romans 1, that we could be silenced. Folks, that is the Word of God. That's not just my opinion. That is the Word of God. Folks, how far down the road are we going to go with this? And folks, let me read you the last part of this. Uh, Can you imagine... The day when simply standing and reading Romans 1, even without comment, just reading the text out loud could land you in trouble with government in this country. Every Christian in the United States should tremble. Every business owner, magistrate, pastor, and church should be deeply fearful. These will be the targets of government discrimination and intolerance against their faith if the Houston scandal is not confronted quickly and decisively. And I understand in the last couple of days that the the mayor of Houston has rescinded this, okay? So let me say that. Indeed, every person who holds a faith of any kind should be enormously troubled. We need to ask the question that confronts the issue at its core. Who elected the mayor and the city council of Houston? The answer is not the people of Houston. The answer is the voters in Houston. That's right, the voters. And folks, 
I'm not trying to be political, but do you and I as Christians vote? Folks, we need to vote. Two years ago, there was some, a couple in the church that brought me a little, a little badge and it said, vote the Bible. And folks, rather than voting for who is going to put the most money in our pocketbooks, we need to vote for who is going to live the Christian principles of our faith. Folks, is it too late? It is not. And that's why I want us to look at Psalms chapter 2. Folks, God is in control. And He forever will be. Folks, it burdens my heart. I'm, I'm getting toward the end of my ministry, and I know that, but, but it burdens me for young preachers. And I said this at the 830 service, it burdens me for, it burdens me for Corey. These young ministers are going to have to make decisions. They're going to be named bigots and intolerant and homophobes and any other homophobes and any other word that people can think of. And folks, even perhaps for churches, and they're going to demand certain things that seem certain ways that we readily adopt and we say, it's okay, but just don't preach about it, okay? Do you want the pulpits of America silenced from the Word of God? And I hope you don't. But folks, let me tell you, it is up to us as Christians to stand up once again for the God who stood up for us when He sent His Son to die on the cross. I would encourage you this week to read Psalms 2 and just let it apply to your life. And think about whom God is installing on His throne. It's not, it was not just King David. And let me tell you why I believe that. Folks, in Acts chapter 4, and I would love for you to read Acts chapter 4, the early church is just getting started and, and it's in its infant stages. And, and Peter and John are two of the most important witnesses. And, and in chapter 4, they go to the temple and they're preaching and teaching about who Jesus is. And the leaders of the temple get annoyed with them. And folks, they charge them. Listen, this is, this is Acts 4, verse 18. So they call them and charge them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. And what did they do? Let me just read these. I absolutely read these. I, I don't know. Have we got these, Michelle? There we go. See, I can't remember very quick, uh, much, can I? Listen. <laughs> Listen to this, Acts 4, beginning with verse 23. Folks, I'll tell you, this thing has burdened my heart. And it's not about the homosexual and gay marriage movement. It is about what is happening in this country. We stand by and let our country be stolen from the people that have stood for the right things. Will our children and grandchildren have to grow up in an environment where because they believe in God and believe in Jesus Christ, they'll be the minority, they'll be ostracized. Peter and John went back. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priest and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted up their voices together. Here's the church. They lifted up their voices together to God and said, listen to this, Sovereign Lord. You know what that means? He's in control. That early church would not flinch. They knew who was in control. Sovereign Lord, who does make the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who by the mouth of our father David thy servant. <laughs> now listen to this verse, y'all. 
this saved by the Holy Spirit. At least 900 years before Peter and James and that early church said these words, listen to this, why did the Gentiles rage and the people imagine vain things? Where does that come from? Psalms 2. Do you see? Put the dots together. God's people, God's kingdom will constantly be challenged. But God is sovereign. And he's wanting a church, a people who will stand up for him even in the face of opposition and say, I believe. I love a person who doesn't believe the way I do. And I'm going to continue to love you and show you the love of Christ. And I'm going to stand against in a Christ-like way, what you're trying to promote. But I pray for you that you'll be saved. And that's the way, folks, we're going to have to do this thing. We can't just pick up arms and fight. We've got to stop this battle of words. Man, everybody's got their opinion in this country. Let me tell you something. It don't make no difference what my opinion, your opinion is, is what God says. Amen? And God says in His Word, I'm in control. May God help us. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord, please, please encourage us. Lord, we truly are are discouraged in many ways, but thank you that you're in control. God, I pray for my own heart. I remember reading in Psalms, and I can't even remember the verse now, but where the psalmist said, Restore my courage. Oh God, restore our courage. Remind us of so often you saying in the Scripture that I will not forsake you. I will not abandon you. I will give you strength. God, help us to live daily in your strength. And Father, please use us. Please use our churches that this nation will turn back to you. And God, even this week as we go to vote, Lord, please may your will be done. And remind us, Father, that regardless of whoever gets elected and whatever path they pursue, that you're still in control. But use us, Father, to turn this world back to you. For we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Our altar is open this morning as we sing an invitation hymn, a decision hymn. For I don't know what your need is right now. My need is to be encouraged. I really mean this. And and I just pray that we'll let God encourage us. You know, one of my favorite stories in, in, in the Gospels is where Paul is, or in the New Testament, is where Paul is, has been put in prison. And he knows, man, there's a hit squad out to kill him. And he's, he's, he's in Jerusalem, if I remember this right. It's in the latter part of the book of Acts. And I can't imagine spending a night in a in a prison-type situation, knowing that there are people waiting. If you get out, they're going to kill you. But you know what? Luke tells us that that night, Jesus came and stood by Paul. And he said, take courage. Take courage. It's time for the church to take courage. Satan might have won a couple of the skirmishes, but he ain't won the battle. Because the battle was won at Calvary's cross. And we're just waiting for the coronation of the King, and it is King Jesus. Our hymn is 423. The altar's open. If you need to come and pray, whatever you need.
Let us stand.